T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Thanks for tuning in this weekend to Let's Talk Portland. Intercom Radio Portland's weekly public affairs program. I'm Gary Bloxham. Does it seem to you over the last few weeks, things around the pandemic have been feeling better? Vaccines are becoming available and we're feeling some hope. But how is the pandemic and the vaccines going around the world? Let's talk about it. On the show this time, I would like to welcome Martha Newsom. Martha is the CEO of Medical Teams International. Hello there, Martha. Thanks for being on the show. Hi, Gary. Thanks for having me. I thought we'd first get started today by finding out more about you. Tell me about Martha Newsom and the work you do. Sure. So um, I'm the president and CEO of Medical Teams International and a little bit of a newer um, arrival or what's the right word? I'm, I'm newer to the Pacific Northwest. I arrived here in 2016, so it's been about four and a half years. Um, my background is in international public health, so worked um, overseas for 15 years and have just a keen desire to see people access healthcare. Um, have just been thrilled to, to move across the country with my family um, from Washington, D.C. And, and dig into um, working with medical teams international. So you've been all over the world, but you settled in beautiful Portland, Oregon. How did that happen? That, that's right. Well, it was, it was a bit of a... Yeah, a longer story, but I, I happen to know medical teams because I, I worked with World Vision International for 20 years, and so we had a partnership with medical teams. And so I knew the outgoing CEO, uh, knew the team, and then when the recruiter contacted me, I you know initially said there was no way that we could, we could move. It would be easier for us to go back to Africa, but that was partly because our son was finishing his last year in high school. Um, but then just managed to to talk to each of my family members individually as a good public health person, decided to carry out my own survey. And to my great surprise, they oh, you should put your name into the hat. And uh, to make a long story short, went through a process and the, the board, um, you know, asked me to, to consider being this, the president and CEO. And and we jumped in and, and here we are. So it's just been wonderful to get to know Oregon and Portland. We just love it. So really hadn't had as much history um, or even understanding of the Pacific Northwest uh, prior to arriving here. Awesome. Well, it's a, it's a great place. I can attest to that. I've been here for all my years. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yes. Yeah, it really is. So now let's talk about Medical Teams International. Tell me about Medical Teams International. 
Sure, happy to. Well, medical teams um, grew up. It was in in Oregon. It was by Ron Post, who was a businessman in Salem. So he saw the plight of the Cambodian refugees in 1979. Um, really felt like God was calling him to do something, and he got together a medical team um, and got them to Thailand uh, within about two weeks. And so that's how medical teams was started. And so over the years, it's um, continued to respond to disasters and always um, engaged volunteers to do that. And when I arrived in 2016, it had a long history of being a real entrepreneurial organization, but was doing with refugees. And so as we dug into thinking about the organization and where we were doing our best work and how that aligned with the need in the world, with just the numbers of people growing year on year, we really uh, decided to focus on these very fragile and to provide life-saving medical care for, for vulnerable people around the world. And, I, and if you're an Oregon resident, you may have seen our big red vans moving around both states. Um, for the last 30 years, we've had a domestic program focused on providing um, mobile dental services to people in need. So that, that program continues as well. And in the midst of uh, COVID, we've been responding both in our country programs overseas, working with refugees, as well as here at home in Oregon and Washington. So, Martha, tell me, as a as Medical Teams International, I'm assuming you're really deeply involved with COVID-19 around the world. Is that correct? We are, yes. Tell me, tell yeah, me about that. Um, it's got to be okay. that's got to be a big job. Yeah, it is. Well, and as I mentioned, we're we're working with a lot of refugee populations around the world. So we're um, in. Bangladesh working with the Rohingya that had fled across the border from Myanmar into into Bangladesh and with the Syrians in Lebanon, with uh, South Sudanese in Uganda, um, Burundians and Congolese in Tanzania. So all of those refugee populations prior to COVID, we were providing, um, you know, just basic primary health care, um, working to alongside the Ministry of Health to strengthen the health system and, and working with the refugees themselves on community-based um, health prevention and promotion. And then along comes COVID. So in a sense, we were perfectly situated to respond to COVID, so continued providing all of the basic um, primary care that's needed, but also um, helping our teams to respond to COVID. So that meant making sure that they you know, they were trained to recognize it, that they understood all of the infection and um, prevention measures, how to use the, the PPE and um, how to, you know, either test people themselves or refer folks for testing. In some of our country programs, um, in fact, in Bangladesh, we changed one of our clinics to be a treatment center. So it became an intensive treatment center for COVID patients. Um, so it's been really a, a complete pivot, you know, across the board, all of our country programs are responding to COVID in some way, and we've been able to respond here um, in the Pacific Northwest, too. So we were, we were really pleased that our teams had, um, were, were ready, in a sense, 
to deal with this. Of course, nobody saw this coming, right? right? Yeah, uh, yeah. In our crystal balls, we had no idea that we were going to be responding to a pandemic of this magnitude and size, but really our teams have done an incredible job uh, quickly pivoting to respond to this. We're talking today with Martha Newsom, CEO of Medical Teams International. Now, uh, Martha, now that the vaccine is, is rolling out uh, globally, really, um, what are you seeing are the main issues surrounding vaccine equity? Yeah, vaccine equity is, is a huge issue. And I think one of the reasons it's important for people to, to um, understand why it's so important to us is that we just don't live in a bubble. You know, all of us are interconnected. I think we started to understand as Americans that what each state does, you know, affects all of us. And in the same way, each country around the world impacts us as well. So if we do a fantastic job and get everybody vaccinated and get to herd immunity in the U.S. and we have uh, whole countries or pockets of very vulnerable populations that don't get vaccinated, then the vaccine will circulate in in those areas, likely mutate as we're, we're already seeing, and then some more, um, you know, just really virulent streams or, or strains of the of the virus will come back to reinfect us and cause another surge or wave of COVID nineteen across the U.S. So. So we're all in it together and none of us are safe until we're all safe. And so because of that, we really want to, to help everybody to understand how important it is for everyone to get vaccinated and for us to be able to reach herd immunity in the U.S., but also to care about vulnerable populations overseas and making sure that they get vaccinated as well. well I certainly can't wait till it's my turn. Have you, have you been vaccinated yet, Martha? I have not. And I'm I, like you, I'm just, I keep checking, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I check that app on my phone to see if they've called me up yet. But sadly, I have not been vaccinated yet, but I'm waiting. Yeah, our turn is coming. That's right. <laughs> well, on the preparatory materials that were sent to me before this interview, um, it, it talked about COVAX. And that was something brand new to me. I don't, I don't even know what COVAX is. So explain that to us. Yes. I mean, and it's not some weird new treatment to COVID, right? So right, right. It's, a, it's actually a global initiative that's a three-way partnership between the Global Vaccine Alliance, which goes by the acronym GAVI, the World Health Organization, and a third organization that it's called the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations. Quite a mouthful. Um, and really what they're doing is they're trying to coordinate um, vaccination um, availability for mid and lower income countries. So they're really coordinating donations of money and vaccines from wealthier countries to be able to provide those resources to developing countries and really make sure that there's equal access to the world's most vulnerable. And so some people might have seen like a back about two weeks ago, I think it was the first COVAX vaccines arrived in Ghana. So Ghana was the first country to receive some of these uh, donated vac um, vaccines. And the reason this is so critical is at the moment, the 10 richest countries in the world have about 80% of the world's supply of vaccines. So COVAX is really trying to bridge that gap and try to make sure that there's a, at least 2 billion doses of, of 
COVID vaccines that are made available to 92 of the poorest countries in the world. It's a it's a big enough battle here in the United States where we have lots of of resources, and I right. can't imagine what the what it's like in a developing country. Just exactly, and the, the and they can't come. Yeah, they don't they don't have the resources to compete on the open market, and so that's where Covax comes in, and so they are really trying to ensure that they can provide at least thirty percent of the supply that's needed in each of these poor countries, but it's still not going to be enough. So we have a long way to go as a global community to get everybody to that herd immunity that I was talking about earlier. What are some of the realities of the most at risk uh, as this crisis continues? You know, I, I think we all have understood how, how COVID has impacted us. Right. And so it's not that different for, for refugees, um, around the world and vulnerable populations, it's just worse because they're trying to worry about uh, shelter and having enough food and water, access to healthcare, and then you pile on top of that COVID. And so it's really adding insult to injury. It's just one more crisis on top of so many other crises. And so it's, it's, it's impacting the economies of, of many countries, as we know, and so those at the very bottom that are impacted by conflict or have had to flee for their lives, you know, they really are just being put in an even more vulnerable situation. Um, there's concern, for example, that, that there will be greater uh, hunger and famine even occurring in some of these places. And then, of course, you have conflict-ridden countries as well or new conflicts that are breaking out. And so as, as in a conflict like the one that is happening right now in the northern region of Ethiopia and the Tigray region, my understanding is about 30% of the, of the health facilities in that region are functioning at all. So in the midst of conflict, you barely have access to health care. And then imagine trying to get people tested uh, for COVID in the midst of that. But it, it, it boggles my mind. I can't even get my head around it. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Can you share a story or two sure. about uh, maybe some examples about how the vaccine rollout is going in some of these developing countries? Some maybe some good sure. good stories and maybe even a, yeah the opposite. Right, we need some good news. Yeah, right? we do. Well, one one story, you know, just what's happened in Tuchupalong, which is where there's almost a million Rohingya refugees, is really quite remarkable. We expected because that's one of the world's largest refugee camps that COVID was going to just wipe out, you know, the, the population there. But because they were kind of hunkered down and isolated, the rates of, of COVID have actually been lower in that, um, that refugee camp. And then the government and the partners, um, medical teams included, have really done, have worked really hard to make sure that they could start vaccinating the health workers in that camp early on. And so, in fact, 50 of our own um, health worker staff have been vaccinated. They, of course, are thrilled. And they expect to start vaccinating refugees by the end of this month. Um, and so it feels like, you know, maybe we'll just be able to get enough of those um, Rohingya vaccinated so that there won't be this horrific outbreak that everybody was expecting and we've been able to avoid so far. Do you know how the vaccine is actually being distributed around the world? 
You know, in terms of the actual logistics of it, no. <laughs> That's a really <laughs> That's, good it's, question. It's a complicated one. I know. It's a complicated one. But I know that part of the way that COVAX is, is working is actually asking for countries to not only just donate resources, but to donate some of the vaccines themselves. So I... I would expect that Gavi and, and the World Health Organization and so on is really has a, a large scale logistics operation in place because of the cold chain that is necessary, you know, to be able to airlift some of these actual vaccines into these countries safely. Um, I do know because of Ebola, medical teams um, like other humanitarian health organizations has had experience with, with you know, responding to Ebola, which is which is very difficult. And the vaccine that was developed for Ebola also requires this deep freeze, you know, the, the, the real extreme cold temperatures. So interestingly enough, some of the countries that have had to prepare for Ebola outbreaks are also well prepared um, in terms of their cold chain to receive these um, vaccines. And each country, of course, has been probably working very closely with the World Health Organization to make sure that they've got the freezers in place, that they've mapped out uh, the cold chain, just as we've had to do here in the U.S. um, to figure out how to transport vaccines that need to be kept at such impossibly cold temperatures. Um, In fact, this is an aside. Our team is in the midst of preparing and planning together with the Oregon Health Authority um, to start vaccinating, hopefully by early April. And so we had a mock clinic going on in the bay of our warehouse yesterday. So I had a chance to to go visit the team. And they just set up, you know, a whole clinic and practice. They had the coolers, they had the temperature checks. So that's what that's what we have to do everywhere. Um, and I'm sure what that's what these countries are doing as well. Oh, crazy stuff. We're talking today with Martha Newsom, CEO of Medical Teams International. Now, Martha, tell me about the work you guys do with the vulnerable population in the United States. Sure. Um, we have been, as I mentioned, we have a fleet of these big, huge RVs. Each one of them is outfitted with a, uh, two dental chairs. And so for the last 30 years, we've been reaching very vulnerable populations that don't have access to dental care with dental services, um, working with amazing partners across Oregon and Washington. And so when COVID hit, in fact, it was those vans that we were able to use, um, half of them to provide emergency dental services. And then the other half, we were able to pivot and start to use them as mobile testing clinics in close partnership with um, both states, in fact, uh, to do that and getting to um, hard-to-access populations and migrant uh, farm workers, for example, have really needed to, to be tested as they came into these states and went back home and then came back again. And so we really had sort of two arms of operation going on simultaneously here, which is uh, emergency dental services and then COVID testing. And soon we'll start vaccinating as well because really concerned about um populations in both states that are going to find it difficult to access the vaccines. I'm looking at your profile here that was sent to me and it says you lead a staff of over 1500 internationally. Tell me about your staff. That's, that's, right. a, that's a big staff. Tell me about your staff. Well, I just love our staff and many of them are actually uh, nationals in the countries where we work. So 
that has allowed us to continue to work in this virtual environment, in fact, because we had very few foreigners or expatriates is what we like to call them. And so they all decided to stay, which was courageous of them. But then our national teams continued to work um, throughout this pandemic. And so they, some of them actually live at times intense, you know, in order to be able to provide the, these life-saving um, health services to these populations. So I'm super proud of them. They, um, they work under really tough conditions and yet serve, you know, with just really gladly wanting to, to make a difference in the countries where we operate. So they're an amazing group. Yeah. What, what uh, keeps you doing this? Oh, what keeps me doing this? It's just really knowing that we can make such a difference that, you know, we can take resources from, um, from, you know, everyday donors who want to help and, and really stretch those resources far and wide to be able to provide life-saving health care, knowing that if we weren't there, you know, some of these refugees would die. I mean, it, it's really that simple um, that, that with basic support and being able to get to these vulnerable populations, we can make such a difference in their lives. And I think as you meet some of these um, young people that have grown up in refugee camps and have gone on to work with us as employees and to hear their stories of how, you know, being able to, to get basic health assistance and gave them hope and allowed them to pursue a career and they're giving back today in their own communities because of that. Wonderful. You do have a great staff. Thank you. (laughs) Totally agree. So (laughs) this is something none of us ever expected, right? A gigantic global pandemic on an unprecedented scale. But you guys have had some kind of almost practice at some of some of the uh, preparedness, right? Tell me about that. That's right. Yes, and, and I, I mentioned a little bit about our team's experience in, in combating Ebola in Liberia, and then more recently, um, there was a quite a large outbreak of Ebola in the um, Democratic Republic of Congo. And so our Uganda team, which is providing, we have 65 clinics that are providing health services to, to 800,000 people. For about a year, they had to, to prepare for Ebola to come across the border um, from Congo into Uganda. And so they were doing um, screening with PPE on. They were practicing um, testing people and transporting them to a quarantine facility. So all the same sorts of infection and prevention and control measures that are absolutely needed for COVID. So they, it's just like they were able to switch that and transform all that training and practice with Ebola to understand exactly what's needed for COVID. That's, so that's been really helpful for us. For sure. Yeah, man, that's, that's invaluable. Absolutely. Um, what would you say is the greatest learning or takeaway for medical teams from the past year of responding to the pandemic? You've got to, we've all learned a little bit of something. That's right. Well, and, and I don't know if this, if this is new, but it certainly has underscored the critical importance of public health and access to health care. I hope that this is helping all of us to understand that 
that we need to prepare. You know, one of the reasons that Asian countries were able to respond so early and fast to COVID with such, you know, with, with a much lower infection rate than here in the U.S. is that they had learned their lessons in, in responding to SARS. And I think we have never experienced, I mean, since the 19, what was it, the 1919 flu, the 1920, was the Spanish flu, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's called, we haven't had a pandemic like this. And so I think in a sense, it's easy to forget um, to invest in public health. And often if your public health system is working well, you don't see it. So it's easy to think, oh, you know, I don't need to make those investments in prevention when it's actually absolutely critical when you have a pandemic of this, this scale and magnitude. And I think also we've, we've found out that the weakest links, the you know, people that don't have access to health care, they are actually going to become a risk for those of us that do have access. So I hope that we've learned that, that health care is a right and it's, and it's needed for all of us. It's needed to keep all of us healthy and prepared. Um, some, some scientists are saying that this is not necessarily the world's greatest pandemic that we could be hit with. And so I hope that we'll, we'll learn to, to make investments in public health and really understand that providing access to health insurance, to health care, is so important for all of us. Well, I certainly hope Medical Teams International keeps doing the good work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. We've been talking today with Martha Newsom, CEO of Medical Teams International. Thanks again. Thanks, Gary. It's been wonderful to chat with you today. If you'd like to hear this interview again, a podcast is available online. Just search Let's Talk Portland on the radio.com app. Let's Talk Portland is an intercom public affairs program. 